0: There was a Thanksgiving gathering of a family in the Midwest and they happened to be the first time that they were gathering at the granddaughter's home. She was now old enough to host everybody in the home and the granddaughter and her mother and her grandmother, they're all there. Three generations are sitting there in the granddaughter's home and they're gathered around a table and they're having the Thanksgiving ham. And um, so the Thanksgiving ham gets rolled out onto the table and as per usual, it has the top cut off. And uh, the question begins to go around the table, uh, why the, the, the top half of the uh, ham is, is cut off. And the granddaughter says, well, I always thought it had to do with something thermal processing, because uh, I always saw mom do it, and so that's just what I did. And the mom said, really, you thought it was about thermal processing? I, I thought it was about the juices circulating, and it needed to be cut off so that you could kind of get the juices in there during the middle of the cooking process. That's what I thought that was all about. And the grandmother's sitting there saying, really, that's why you cut off the top half of the ham? I cut it off because when I first started doing these dinners in 1953, the oven was so small, I had to cut off the top of the ham so it would fit in the oven. (laughs) See, cutting off the top of the ham is this idea where you get married to the form of a thing and you just keep perpetuating the form even though it no longer achieves the function. The function in this case is preparing a great Thanksgiving Day ham. The form, as you can see, with changing conditions ought to change while the function remains the same. If you get this, you can understand uh, effectively how we want to apply the ancient text of Scripture to a modern context in making church meaningful. See, here's what happens in churches is we get married to the form. We get married to a form and then start forgetting, really, about uh, making sure that we're accomplishing the function. And sometimes when you get married to a form... When all the context around you changes, but the form keeps staying the same, you no longer accomplish the function that that form was originally intended to express. Let me give you an example. Uh, you know, in worship, it, worship embodies the music of the day, and so it takes on a certain form. And so in a lot of churches, the church I grew up in, there was three hymns and a sermon, and the hymns were accompanied by an organ, which was right there. And that, embodied, that was a form of worship. If you think about worship as a function, though, that function can stay the same while the worship form changes. And sometimes, as you can probably guess, in churches, we get married to the form, so heaven help the person who who leads the campaign to get the organ to leave the church. Because when the organ leaves the church, what does someone assume is also leaving the church? Worship, right? Someone assumes that the function is now violated because the form has been violated. If you can understand the difference, you understand what cannot change if a church is going to have guiding North Star functions, then you can understand that everything else can change in order to make sure that the functions are accomplished. Just give you another couple of examples. Space flight, you know, 1969, the, uh, the, the apex of space flight, which was brand new, was the Saturn V rocket. It is still to this day the most powerful motor that human beings have ever made. And it launched people up into space and took them to the moon and back. But guess what? That all changed. The the, the shuttle program replaced the Saturn V program, and guess what? The shuttle program is half as powerful as a Saturn V rocket. Some people go, oh, no, that's a degradation of technology. No, it's a massive leap in technology because uh, the solid fuel uh, boosters are reusable and the shuttle was reusable over and over again. It it made space travel sustainable. The form changed, the function, space travel remained the same. And then a a final example, how many of you remember Saturday Night Live, the grumpy old man character? Anybody remember this, the Dana Carvey thing? Yeah, right. So he always started out every phrase, he'd go, back in my day, and it was really funny because a lot of you maybe had parents or grandparents who would say this. They'd start every sentence with, back in my day, and he would say dumb stuff like, back in my day, we walked 10 miles to school and back in the snow, uphill, both ways, and we liked it. That's how we ended everything, and we liked it. He said, back in my day, we didn't have video games. We made up our own games, like chewing the bark off a tree, and we liked it. Back in my day, we didn't have those fancy moving pictures. Back in my day, there was only one show in town. It was called Stare at the Sun, and we'd stand there and stare until our eyeballs burst into flames, and our skulls caught on fire, and we liked it. Oh, we loved it. We couldn't get enough of it. So yeah, that whole, that whole shtick. So we knew, what's going on with the grumpy old man? He has mistaken form for function. What he really wants to perpetuate from one generation to the next, the functions of human experience that he wants to see perpetuated are things like hard work, physical fitness, self-reliance, responsibility, discipline, not eating the bark off a tree, right? And there's not necessarily anything inherently great about walking uh, to school 10 miles if uh, the functions are being sustained so in 1995 uh the the founding families of ac3 there was the gettys and the hollands it was the Teasons, and then we sat in the living room and we had a fresh sheet of paper and we said we felt god was calling us to start a church and the first identity question was simply this what are our functions as a church what are those things that cannot change those principles values and imperatives that must change Uh, Be be put forward if we're going to be faithful to the words of jesus And then once we understood that then we knew everything else could change In order to be effective in our mission. So our mission answered the question. What are we on planet earth to do? And as it turns out We had some great help in this because jesus was incredibly explicit about the mission He wanted his people to have for the church. He lays it out in matthew 28 how many of you ever had the privilege uh, and the honor, really, of sitting with a person by their deathbed as they spend their last few days on planet Earth? This is an amazing experience. It is, it is kind of awe-inspiring a little bit. And because every word that's coming out of their mouth before their maybe mind goes or they move into a coma, every word that's coming out of their mouth is just wrought with significance and weight. Because you know that their last words really matter. It's about what mattered to them. It's about what they want to instill in you. It's about what they want to move forward. There's not trivial. Nothing's trivial at that point. It's the most important stuff. Well, guess what? We kind of have that with Jesus. We have his last words on planet earth before his ascension in Matthew chapter 28. And we said to ourselves, boy, his last words ought to be our first concern. And his last words go like this. I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's what theologians have called the Great Commission, and it really summarizes the mission for the church. So when we translated that into modern language, we said, okay, clearly the world matters to God. So recognizing That people matter to God and therefore matter to us. The purpose of Creek Community Church is to provide every seeker in Snohomish County a safe place where they can become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's a lot of words. So if you're interested in becoming a, a, a member of AC3 and say, I better know the mission of the organization I'm a part of, you can boil that whole thing down into two words. Reach and teach. Got it? It's real simple. What's the mission of AC3? Reach and teach. Because notice the first part of Jesus' great commission is go. Like there's an extension there. There's a reaching implied there. He wants his people to be about reaching people who are not following, not disciples, not believers. Convince them to become believers and disciples and followers. And once they've been reached, you you, um, mark them with a sign of baptism and then teach is the second half of the mission. Then teach them to become fully devoted followers of Christ fully mature in this new kingdom way of life that I've lined out for you. So that's our mission as a church. Very simple. And by the way, this isn't sexy or new. If you go to any church that takes the words of Jesus seriously, they're going to have a mission that looks an awful lot like this one. I've heard a mission of one church uh, that was to know him and make him known. I mean, you're going to get something similar in every church that takes the words of Jesus uh, seriously. Now, once you started to apply these Th- these words. When the church, the first church said, hey, these were his last words, let's get to business. What did it look like? What did they become? That was, that was their vision and that has become our vision. Our vision as a church is to translate this mission into a modern context. So our vision is how we intend to get this done on a threefold framework, we said, which exists in a balanced tension. This is referring to three critical functions that is how the church uh, r- did their reaching and did their teaching in the first century. So, um, when you look at our uh, mission as a church, we said, let's look at that church as our pattern church. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> so, um, Acts chapter 2 kind of defines it for us. Check this out. This is a, an amazing description. And if this doesn't um, uh, kind of mess you up when you look at this and say, all the the trouble that's going on on planet Earth and all the, all the terrible rough spots, um, you, you look and you wonder where a new community could rise up to, to displace the horrors of persecution and um, political unrest. Here's God's dream for a new kind of community. And it arose once in a beautiful way in downtown Jerusalem when Peter stood up and gave the first Christian sermon and 3,000 people became Christians on that day. And when that happened, thank you, I got water coming out the wazoo now. This is great. <clears throat> so, um, so what happened was they started to apply this reach and teach mission, and suddenly we realized that there, here's a community that's radically committed to three core functions. Let's read. Uh, These 3,000 that became Christians on the day of Pentecost, they joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching The fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper, that's communion, the meal that celebrates Christ's death and resurrection, and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers were met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes also for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill the favor of all the people that's the other people who are not Christians and each day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved now that might just seem like a random description of a really cool event to you but when I read that I pull out three core functions check it out first of all their great devotion was to all the believers together in Uh, to to commit it to the apostles' teaching and sharing in the Lord's Supper, which is this communion, intimate communion, and praising God and prayer. What does that relate to? That relates to our relationship with God. The early church, through Jesus Christ, had been one to him by grace. And in being one to him by grace, they had a priority commitment of developing intimacy with God. They did it through prayer and through worship and through a dedication to the apostles' teaching, which, by the way, is now here. So the apostles' teaching is, is saved for you in a Bible. They showed a priority commitment to love God. But notice this also, that, that they, were, they, were, they met together constantly. They shared meals. They met together in homes. They sold stuff. They met each other's needs. They had a priority love for one another. So there was a vertical focus. There was an internal focus. And then at the end of the description, you see that they enjoyed the favor of all the people, they were doing good deeds out in the world. Their acts of compassion and goodness were saying to the outside world, hey, I like what's going on in there. And as a result, people were investigating Christ, and they were making this grand transition from darkness to light, from anger to God to uh, following God, from from, uh, on the good works plan, that's how I'll get into heaven someday, to the grace plan where they just realized they needed to surrender their sin and their past and receive Jesus Christ. Daily, people were making that transition and becoming Christians. So we realized that there's these three grand purposes. We gave them names. We said, let's call the first connecting. If you begin with this person who's irreligious, who's outside the fold, Webster's defines connecting as joining or fasting together to associate with or relate, and look what they were doing. They were out there doing wonderful acts of compassion as they went Right? There was a sense in which they had a, a relationship with the outside world. They existed in some sense for the benefit of their non-members. That's a fantastic thing when you think about it. What other institution does that on planet Earth? It exists for the benefit of its non-members, but the church has this priority commitment to love people who aren't a part of it. That's a fantastic thing. And what a giving and grace-filled thing. That community was full of grace. But then we also notice that they were a communing community. Once people turned their lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ, they became intimately connected with God, and that's what communing means. That's about loving God. And you see it in the description, right, where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer and praising God. And then thirdly, you see this internal focus. We call that coaching at AC3. So Webster's defines coaching as training, giving instruction, leading the way. And it just kind of shows, again, another core function of the early church look at them devoted to each other devoted to meeting together devoted to grouping devoted to giving to one another it was awesome in 83 if you can read this description and not get messed up in your head to say this is god's dream on planet earth the cherished object of his affection now and forever is the church the called out ones that's what church literally means the body of christ the physical expression of jesus christ on earth This is what it's meant to do. Commune and coach and connect. It's meant to love God, to love one another, and love outsiders radically and intensely. He said, these are the functions of the church, and we better be doing this if we're going to model our pattern church. Let's go to the next slide. So you see our pattern church, and as they're going about reaching and teaching, they're getting it done with these three priority functions, and we said to ourselves, this cannot change. That's what has to carry on until Jesus comes back because these are the functions that must define Jesus' people. Now, what you'll notice about this is that flowing right out of those purposes becomes a process for taking someone from this place where the Great Commission first begins to apply to them when they're seeking, when they're on the outside, when they're not disciples, and then all the way to this place where they're fully instructed, as Jesus said, in this new way of life. We call that being fully devoted to Jesus and the process kind of looks like this let's look at the next slide because what you see coming out of this um can we see the next slide please <clears throat> thank you so uh so you see the process that comes out of these purposes is a real natural one again let's begin with this person who's far from God a member at AC3 says wait a minute if these are the functions of the church I'd be a, better be a person who gives a priority commitment to loving outsiders and if I'm going to do that, the first thing I'm going to do is be in relationship with them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to realize that they matter to God. One of the things that Jesus said that just radically disrupted people, uh, was when he let them know that God loves outsiders that blew people away. Cause the kind of Jewish mindset in the first century, it kind of got baked in this idea that God only loved insiders, insiders to faith. Insiders to Abraham, genetic descendants of Abraham. And Jesus kept ruffling feathers and they keep taking him to cliffs to throw him over every time he says, I really like the faith of this Roman guy. Or every time he heals the Samaritan uh, woman. Or or he actually is speaking to a person uh, not of Jewish descent in public. He's ruffling feathers. He's letting people know that God loves outsiders. In Luke 15, he tells stories about a lost son and a lost coin and a lost sheep And the point in every single one of the stories is lost things matter to God. And that's why we said, let's have at the very beginning of our mission statement, realizing that lost people, everybody matters to God and therefore matter to us. The purpose of Allen Creek is to say, we're going to be a safe place for every seeker in Stohomish County to become a fully devoted follower of Christ because seekers who are still maybe hostile to God, maybe investigating, maybe they're in investigating mode, maybe they're in cynic mode, maybe they're in skeptic mode, maybe they're in question asking mode, those people matter to God. And so AC3 said, you know, it's going to be the unique thumbprint of this church to be crazy nuts in love with those people. We're going to try in the power of the Holy Spirit inside to love those people and here's where it begins. It begins in relationship. And then, it continues loving outsiders by creating invitational environments to places where they can be exposed to the message of Jesus Christ. So the first piece of this is relationship and doing good works and doing good deeds and acts of compassion. The second piece of this is an actual explanation of the proposition of the gospel. It's a, it's a yes-no thing. It's a recognizing who you are before the cross of Christ. Are you on the good works plan? Are you on the pull yourself up by your bootstraps plan? And the gospel confronts you with a choice and says yes, no. And those people intrigued by Christians who live the gospel beautifully will come to that decision. And some will say no. Some will say yes. Now listen, this is a, it's at this point that Allen Creek is kind of out of the box. It's at this point that we've taken the permission if we're going to maintain the function of loving outsiders well and seriously that we're going to try to do that in as many forms as are effective for us. In the first century, we see a couple of different forms. Matthew, when he gets his life wrecked by Jesus Christ, what's the first thing he does? Does anybody know? He throws a party. And who does he invite to this party? He invites all his tax-collecting buddies, his prostitutes, and all the 'er ne'er-do-wells, and everybody that he can, and they're going to meet Jesus in this non-threatening environment where Jesus is just going to be in front of them. It's a natural impulse to create environments where you can invite people in, where they can investigate the claims of Christ. You see it in Matthew's uh, journey. You see it in Paul's journey. He says, okay, I'm going to the city. And the first thing we got to do is explain to everybody that God is welcoming people and creating a new family of his very own out of all the peoples of the earth. How am I going to do that? Hmm. I think I'm going to rent a lecture hall. And during the fiesta or the siesta, which by the way, Mediterranean culture, everybody shuts down between 10 and two still to this day. And so during that time, Paul would would explain to anybody who would come into the rented lecture hall what Jesus was all about. A non-threatening environment for all outsider seekers, question askers, and investigators to check out Jesus Christ in a non-threatening and safe way. Friends, that's what this service is meant to do. So when you say, What on earth? They did they played games for 30 minutes up here? They uh, <clears throat> they, they, they have dramas, they have rock music, they, they they're playing songs that kind of like I heard on the radio this last week. Is that okay? Is that all right? And we've always taken these great permissions from the radical love that we've seen in the New Testament of people who say, once I'm connected to Jesus, I want to get you connected to him any way I can. I will create inviting environments to make that happen. So what we've done is given a priority to your seeking and investigating friend in this service. So this service will be take the cookies of the gospel, put it down on the lower shelf. It'll make sense. We're going to try to ruthlessly eliminate Christianese fancy words we're going to try to communicate in the language of today we're going to try to make things relevant people are going to come in and say hey this relates to my life this is something that's answering my questions this is something that's confronting me so we say that this environment is a safe place because you're welcome no matter where you're at no matter what your past is it's a safe place to hear a dangerous message because if you actually grab hold of it and God confronts you with the gospel it'll change you forever and you'll be a different kind of person and you may have to lay down your past and your sin and some cherished parts of you to follow Jesus. So we think that we can do both and. We think we can be a safe place for people who are investigating, irreligious, maybe even cynical and skeptical, and we can challenge them with the uncompromising message of Jesus. That's what we're doing here. We're trying to assist you in your efforts to love Lost people if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. Because there's times when you're in relationship with somebody who's far from God, right? And you've been in relationship with that person for a while and they know you're a Christian and they've gotten through the weirdness of it, and they actually have great respect for you because you're doing good deeds in this world. They see you living faithfully uh, your your walk with Jesus Christ. Now they're asking questions. And you're answering their questions as best you can, and then you get to a place where they go, you know. I'm gonna to have to think about that. What do you have at your disposal in that moment? Well, more relationship for sure, more prayer, and continue to hold that person up before God. But guess what? What, you, what if you just invited him to church? That option's not available necessarily to everybody. Like there's some there's some people who say the last place I want to take my seeking, investigating friend is church. The church I grew up in, honestly, I figured that if my unchurched my friends in high school would go backwards in their spiritual journey if I brought them to church. Not because I thought church was, was uh, they were going to hear anything bad or wrong. I just knew it wasn't going to speak to them. So we have created this environment so that we can be people who are loving lost people well. They're, they're a safe place to hear a dangerous message. But you see that when a person comes, and what we're finding is people will come sometimes seven months, sometimes a year, sometimes a year and a half on your arm. And when they come in this way and they get their questions answered and God confronts them, there will come a day when they go from darkness to light. And they join that great number like the Bible says, and the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. And when they do, then they start moving down through this natural process. They start loving God, a God who saved them, a God who richly met them in their sin and their need with grace and peace. And so they start growing in this relationship. They start developing spiritual growth habits, like they start opening up their Bible for the first time. Let me read this thing now. And then they start praying, and then they start worshiping, and that's the next thing. They just start realizing, wait, I want to express gratitude to God. And you notice that we've set our worship time a little bit apart from our service time. Why is that? Because while you're in investigation mode, worship can just seem a little weird, and we've realized that just talking to your religious people and our own friends. And, you know, you come into a worship environment and it can be powerful, but it can also be a little strange, a little intimate. It's like people, their hands are raised and eyes are closed, or somebody's kneeling over here, or somebody's dancing over here. And it, it can just be a little bit like walking in on a couple kissing, right? It's like, whoa, <clears throat> that's um, I'll just leave you alone because it's intimate. And it's meant to be intimate. And that's fine. And so when a person is ready for this, as they're growing spiritually, they begin to prioritize that. I'm gonna be a worshiper. I'm just gonna be part of my weekly experience. I'm gonna be a public worshiper and a private worshiper. Then, as they continue to grow in this process, they start connecting, they make bonds of community, they start meeting in people's homes. They say, Hey, I don't want to just stare at the back of someone's head for 60 minutes. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know somebody. I want to share my Christian walk with somebody else. I'm gonna do this together. And then when they get there, they just say, "I love this place. This place turned my life upside down. It completely wrecked me, and uh, and now I want to give. I just want to be part of this thing. How how can I steward my life in such a way that I can leverage it towards God's dream? This is His dream community. And so they start giving. They just start leveraging their time, their talents, and their treasure to God for His purposes in this world. And what are God's purposes in this world? To love lost people. To love the church." And to love the lost. When that happens, friends, a beautiful cycle begins to emerge. You checking out the arrows on that process page? What happens is someone then starts saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A year ago, I was floundering and my marriage was breaking down and, and uh, everything was in chaos and God met me and turned me around. And now, I've got a friend in the lunchroom. i got an uncle. i got... I got a son or a daughter. They need the grace of God. I can be in relationship with that person. And then the cycle starts again with the next generation. And so disciples make disciples who make disciples as it's been going on since 33 AD when Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's a beautiful thing, AC3. When that starts happening, when you start seeing uh, disciples at AC3, freshly won disciples making disciples, then it's like, it's like a perpetual motion machine. And that's what the church was meant to be. So it's a beautiful thing, AC3, and, and it happens when you know your functions. When you know the functions of the church, what, what cannot change, then everything else can change for the effectiveness of those functions. And that's what we found at AC3. So when uh, someone's going to ask you a question, why are they so crazy at Allen Creek Community Church? My wife said, you know, you'll invite your Aunt Maud to our Easter service, and she might freak out, run out of the, hair, out of the church with her hair on fire, <clears throat> she will ask you, is that okay? Is that okay? Why are they doing what they're doing? Why are their forms so different than mom and dad's church? The answer you will give them is because they're trying to be relentlessly committed to the unchanging words and mission of Christ recorded in Scripture, and they're trying to make that meaningful and accessible to a changing world. Changeless words to a changing world. When you get that, then you know what it is to be a member of AC3. Some of you, honestly, you've been here years and years. Can I be honest with you? You've been members forever. I mean, you've been members for pretty much the moment that you decided you were going to be a critical player in in God's purposes at our church. So... The formal membership thing that we'll talk about and extended is just a formality to you. It matters to us for accountability purposes. But listen, friend, the end game for us is that everybody is becoming something. You notice that if you're engaging in that process, that's what you do. But notice if you are doing so effectively, that's also who you are. Some of you wondered forever what a spiritually mature follower of Jesus looks like. You, you said, what is the goal on the wall for me as a Christian? Let me give you one, those six G's. Are you growing in maturity in going? That is to say, are you a person who is compassionate? A person who is elevating the poor? A person who is interested in relationships with people who are far from God? And you prioritize that. You actually intentionally, you pray about it and you think about it. Who am I in relationship with that's far from God? If you do that, friend, then you're growing in Christian maturity. Secondly, are you a person? You've received the grace of Jesus. Could you explain it to someone else? Are you mature in grace? Then are you also mature in your growth habits? I mean, what place does this book have in your life, really? I mean, is there a sense in which you go to it for spiritual food every single day? How about prayer? Is that really a part of your spiritual growth habits? You mark your maturity by saying, how am I at growing? But then look also about glorifying. Are you a worshiper? Or does that you, know, you, just, you go weeks and weeks and weeks before you ever join the body of Christ in exalting God together. Because it's not really a priority. Are you growing in maturity in grouping? Some of you are still trying to do the Christian life on your own. And friend, let me say this. There is no iteration of the faith that the Bible ever knows. That's Lone Ranger. The Bible has no understanding of a person who is just Jesus and me and I don't really do it in community. And so are you growing in your maturity of being known and knowing others, of loving others and allowing yourself to be loved? Because friends, that's a part of maturing as a Christian. And then finally, <clears throat> are you getting to the place where, <clears throat> are you getting to the place where you completely lost your voice? <clears throat> are you getting to the place where your whole life is on the altar because of what Christ has done for you? And until you get here, AC3, you don't say that you're a fully devoted follower of Christ. And there's a great scale of people growing from new birth experience, you're a baby at that point in the faith. But you don't get to this place of spiritual maturity until you say to God, listen, my time, my talents, my money. It's a prioritize towards your purposes in this world. And when you get there, you say, I'm moving towards spiritual maturity. It's defined by these six things. I'm going, I understand, and I'm giving away grace. I'm glorifying and I'm growing. I'm grouping and I'm giving. And that defines me as a person who's looking more and more like Jesus. If that's you, friend, then you're already participating as a member of our church. And if so, then you are joining me in God's great dream in this world. And I still believe in the church. Some of you have probably gone through a place maybe in your life where you thought the church was like a dinosaur. What happened to the dinosaurs? They went extinct. You said to yourself, this is where the church is going. It's just going the way of the dodo bird. Rise of secularism. Rise of atheism. But listen, you haven't understood the church globally. Yeah, around the neighborhood here, secularism is on the rise. Check it out globally. The church is going gangbusters in the south and in the east. It's going crazy nuts. Do you know that the church is growing the fastest in Iran of all the countries of the earth? Iran. The gospel is doing amazing things because the grace of Jesus still plays. Because still people feel innately separated from God. They feel innately guilty. They feel innately um, at a loss to deal with their guilt and their um, sense of lostness in this world. And the gospel comes to them and says, you matter and there's love in heaven with your name on it. Now question, friend, will you agree with God, confess and repent and move into the kingdom? And this invitation still plays around the world because the church... Is this institution that God has used to change a heart? And when hearts get changed, then think about what follows, AC3. All the maladies in our, in our day, all the horrible things that are happening in our culture, all the things that we rail about on Facebook. Well, what would happen if hearts got changed? Then marriages start to change. Addicts get their worlds turned upside down, their inner lives rearranged, lost and lonely people get connected to community Uh, families instill Christ-like character into the next generation that we're all so worried about. And then people who are just kind of floundering and wondering what their purposes get unleashed in this world as their gifts get mined out and used by God to further his purposes in this world. Which are simply what? To love lost people, to love the church, and to love God devotedly. And if you'll be with me on that, friends, then we together as members of Christ's body will participate in God's amazing dream. Let's pray together. Oh God, may we in this room be ready to take our part, to take our place in the bride of Christ and to realize this is our moment. This is our moment on the stage. Many have come before us, and some have stewarded their moment really, really badly. There's been inquisitions and really nutty stuff. But then we're this generation of Christians, and what will it be said of us? How did we steward this moment? I pray, God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be people who are zealously committed to loving you, who are relentlessly committed. To loving one another, and who are passionately committed to loving those who are right now far from you with the kind of love that you showed all lost people. And in this way, God, we want to do your work and be partners with you until Jesus comes back. We pray in his name, amen. I'm so glad that you're here, AC3, and if my voice will handle it... <clears throat> We're going to keep this going and extend it. And honestly, if you wanted to become a member of AC3, 30 more minutes and you're in the boat and you're rowing with both oars and you're understanding what it is to be formally a part of this family. So I invite you to do that. We're going to do that in this section right here. And next week is Easter. Please think about who you want to invite to that. And we will see you on Resurrection Weekend.